Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about helping people engage in the love of a fiercely relational God. Good morning. Jesus is here, amen? And that's why we're here. Uh, take your Bible. We are in Acts chapter 3. Um, I am going to probably do what I usually do. Um, we are going to uh, look at uh, this message that Peter gives um, to the uh, huge crowd of onlookers that's gathering. We know in Acts chapter 3, the latter half, um, that 2,000 people are about to surrender their lives to the Lord Jesus. So what I want to open up here this morning is there's an implicit message that Peter gives directly. Uh, excuse me. There's an explicit message that Peter gives directly, but then there's also an implicit message that his words sort of carry. And so what I would like to do this morning is um, open something up. It's a deeper or richer sort of theological truth. And so we're going to go from Acts chapter 3. We're going to jump into, for just a minute, First Chronicles 5. You might not even know where that is. If you're scrolling, it's much easier to find than if you're flipping um, in, in your uh, paper Bible. But we're going to dip into First Chronicles 5, and then we are going to go to Genesis 48. You're getting like a flyover of the Scriptures this morning. Um, but there's something really, really powerful here. And so Peter, as uh, in, in verse 10 and 11, as this huge, and then 12 and 13, as this huge group um, of Jewish leaders and Jews are now gathering around them at the temple. There's multiple thousands of people. And Peter is speaking to a group of who? Americans? Jews. That's right. There would have been some Romans in the mix. There would have been some Europeans. There would have been some uh, Europeans in the sense of Romans. There would have been some Africans in the mix. But primarily, who he is speaking to is a group of Jews. And so what is, uh, we have to understand in order to understand what he's saying is the context in which a, a Jewish man or woman or young person or even a Jewish religious leader would fully um, understand his messaging. Make sense? Okay, so let's start reading in Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to dance through a couple of verses, um, and then we're going to springboard back into the Old Testament. Okay, Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 13. So, this guy has just been healed. Just quick recap. This guy has just been healed. His legs and knees, he was um, permanently, um, uh, he, he was born without the use of his legs. He would sit at the entrance, one of the gates to the temple called Beautiful, and he would ask for money or beg. Peter came by and said, hey, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. Okay, so that's where we're standing. Now, this guy's like jumping around and praising God, and as he's doing it, this huge crowd, right, gathers, um, and Peter, they want to give Peter and John credit, like they want to worship Peter and John, and Peter's like, hey, hey, we're just normal guys. We didn't do this. This was Jesus of Nazareth that has, who, who uh, you killed, but is now alive, that has healed this man. So let's pick it up um, in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, people of Israel, why does this surprise you? I love how direct Peter is. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Last week we talked about the humility sort of implicit in that statement. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, now Abraham's back in Genesis, the God of Isaac, also back in Genesis, and the God of Jacob, which we're going to read about in a minute, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus, and you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. He's not very concerned about making them happy, is he? 
Okay, so skip down to verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. Skip down to verse 19. Repent then and turn to God. This is where like old school kind of, um, even in America, old school kind of preachers get that brimstone of repent and turn to God, you know. But there's a, if you understand repentance, which we're going to actually open this door today, repent does not mean what it's come to mean in like 1950s or 1960s or 1970s America. Repent is this kind, drawing, gracious, loving father. So I almost want you to like scrub that out of your memory a minute and let, let God retool what even repentance means this morning. That he may send, verse 20, the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now skip down to verse 25. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant, which is like old school uh, Hebrew for promise. The covenant God made with your offspring, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. It's a very like Bible word, blessed. Okay, what in the world does that mean? We're going to talk about it. Verse 26, when God raised up his servant, who's his servant? Jesus, that's exactly right. He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Okay, so here's what I want to open for you this morning is when Peter begins to throw back to the God of Abraham, and Abraham had a son named Isaac, the God of Isaac, and Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob, and the God of Jacob, he's calling upon what all of these religious leaders, but also this was so in the fabric of the Jewish people. So everyone would have had a full um, understanding of what he was talking about. So that's what I want to open today. Holy Spirit, would you help us as we open this? So what is fascinating um, is in uh, Jewish culture, uh, when a father um, dies, all of the um, blessing, uh, which includes um, the inheritance, the wealth, the donkeys and the sheep and the goats and the whatevers and the whatevers, all of it goes to the youngest born daughter. The oldest son. So the oldest son, and there's several different lines and thoughts we could take this, but essentially what you need to know today is blessing, the blessing of the father goes to the firstborn son. In fact, when Jesus um, is raised uh, from the dead and then he ascends up into heaven, does anyone remember what it says about where he's seated? At the right hand of God. So it's the hand, the right hand of God is the hand of blessing. So when it says uh, Jesus is seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God, that is the seat of blessing. So when the firstborn son um, is born and then grows up into adulthood or manhood, he takes his seat at the right hand of the Father. Okay, so that's, that's sort of what's unfolding here. Now, I'm going to dip back, and we're going to look at 1 Chronicles 5. I'm just going to read two or three verses. If you don't know where that is and just want to listen, that is no problem. This is a quick buzz, quick, quick flyover here. Uh, 1 Chronicles 5, and it's going to give context to Genesis 48. If you've never been here and you're like, oh my goodness, this guy's reading a lot of the Bible. In the old time, yes, we are. But here's what I promise. There'll be a pivot and an action and an application to you right now in 2023. Okay? Hang with me. All right. First Chronicles 5, uh, the sons of Reuben. Now, Reuben is the firstborn of Israel, just so you know. And Israel's real name, or born, born name, excuse me, not his real name, his born name was Jacob. 
which means swindler, okay? And God changed this swindler into Israel, and he actually became the namesake of the entire country of Israel. Right, so he had 12 sons that became the 12 sons of Israel. So just a little context there for you. So the sons of Reuben, who was the firstborn of Israel. Now the moment we read that Reuben was the firstborn of Israel, what do we know? He has the right hand of blessing. He is sitting in the seat of favor. He is sitting in the seat of grace. He is the most loved. He is the most adored. He is the one who gets all of the tents and all of the camels and all of the donkeys and all of the stuff and all of the favor and all of the whatever. And all the younger brothers and sisters are going to serve him, okay? That's, that's what you, you have to understand. And you also have to understand, like, in our American culture, what we would value uh, oftentimes would be, like, the inheritance. You know, I can't remember the old movie, but it's like, show me the money. That's what we you know, sort of, like, value or want or see. And it's a little actually sad because in this culture, what they value is actually the right hand of blessing. It is so much bigger uh, than, than money or wealth. And so when, a, when an American pastor gets up and preaches that when you come to God, you're going to attain wealth or prosperity, they're, they're missing it. Like there's a, maybe an element of God blessing us in that way, but it is so much bigger. So in this context, what the oldest son wanted was the right hand of blessing. It's favor. It's like your life has been anointed with the sovereign grace of God so that everything you do will go and um, be blessed and, and successful. Like it's this like, it's this all-encompassing sort of right hand of favor. Okay, so Reuben is sitting. He's the oldest son of Jacob, also known as Israel. I realize that's a little um, complex, but God often changes people's name. Do you know that? So in the New Testament, we see that as inner transformation. Okay, in the Old Testament, and, and even in the New Testament, Paul changed, or God changed the apostle um, Paul. His, his name was also Saul, and then he went by Paul. So there's a, there's a transformation that God will often do. So Reuben is sitting in the right hand of? Come on, in the right hand of? Okay, let's keep reading. First Chronicles 5. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, or Jacob, and then there's a parenthesis. He was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as the firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph of Israel. This is very important. Okay? So, you have Joseph, who's actually, of the 12 sons, he's number 11. He's not even 12. The youngest was Benjamin. But you have Reuben, who's the firstborn. And then you have Joseph, who's actually thrown in a pit. He's sold into slavery. Um, he, he actually is, uh, he, he serves in a guy named Potiphar's house. He's in slavery. If you're reading your one-year Bible, you're all up on this, because all this has been just happening in our one-year Bible. So what is literally happening is uh, the blessing of Reuben, the right hand of Come on, y'all can do this. The right hand of is now given to Joseph. Okay, now watch this. The sons of Joseph, that's right. Put your hands out. I'm losing my microphone. Put your hands out. Right hand of blessing. Okay. Hang with it, hang with it. All right, here we go. We're back into Genesis 48. Okay, are you ready? If you're new to Bible flipping, it's the first book in the Bible. Flip to the back, scroll to the back, Genesis 48. Here we go. Quick flyover that'll help us as we do this. 
Jacob, whose name was changed uh, to Israel, um, he was actually the younger son, so he sat at the father's left hand. Esau was actually the older son, so he sat at the father's right hand. Now, what's interesting, and we're not going to read this today, but in, in Jacob and Esau's life, so you have Esau, the son of blessing, the son of promise, but there is an exchange in Esau receiving the right hand of blessing and Jacob receiving the lesser blessing of the son, and it goes like this. You follow me? Some of you are going, what is this guy doing? Wait for it. Wait for it. This weird bald man. All right, Genesis chapter 48. I'm reading the NIV, and this actually is titled Manasseh and Ephraim in my Bible. Genesis 48, verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told. Now, Joseph was the one who was sold and betrayed by his brothers. He lived in slavery. He was abused, hurt. It was absolutely, his whole life was terrible. Um, But Joseph was told, your father is ill. Long story short, God promoted him from that place of being in the dungeons of, of Pharaoh to the second in command in all of the country of Egypt. So he's gone from the absolute worst to the absolute highest. So sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. Now, who is Joseph's father? Jacob or Israel. All right. So he took his two sons, Manasseh. Now, just by the way this is written, Manasseh and Ephraim. Who's older? Manasseh. So Manasseh sits where? Where does Ephraim sit? Okay. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up in bed. So Israel, uh, or, J- or, or um, Jacob, is about to die. He, he's lost his eyesight at this point. He can't see very well. He hasn't blessed any of his 12 sons yet. So remember, who should get the first blessing? Reuben. But what's happening in this moment is the right hand of blessing is going to be given to Joseph and his two. All right, let's watch this happen. We're skipping down to verse 8. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he's asked, who are these? This is less like he doesn't know, and this is more like a formality of blessing. Like this is a high and holy and precious moment in the sight of God because this blessing is so coveted among the sons. And, and in this, in this Judeo—it um, wasn't Christian yet, but in this uh, Jewish worldview, it was so esteemed and valued. So he says, whose sons are these? You know in a wedding where we say, who gives this bride? It's the same kind of scenario right there. So verse um, 9, they are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Now, now coincidentally, let's open this because it's very important. Where is here? He's in Egypt. Okay. And in Egypt, he married a Jewish girl? Who did he marry? An Egyptian girl. Okay, so he married an Egyptian girl, and that means when his two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, are born, they are half and half Jewish. Okay, now, based on being half Jewish, would the Jewish people have generally welcomed them into the mix? No. 
They would have been actually immediately hated, rejected, spurned, um, possibly run out. Um, they, would have, they would have been like, you know, prejudice didn't originate in America. Prejudice actually originated way back here. And these two boys, would have, uh, they would have experienced prejudice at the hands of the Jews. And they would have experienced prejudice at the hands of the Egyptians. So it's like they lived in this no man's land. They had no place to call necessarily home. And all of a sudden, you have this right hand of blessing that is supposed to go to Reuben, and now it's passing through Joseph to his sons. Like, this is so powerful. So, so then, open this up uh, e- even a step further. What God is beginning to declare in this, um, both in Peter's sermon in Acts 3, but also in this Genesis 48, is this message of hope, this message of grace, this message of salvation is not merely for his Jewish people, but it's for all the peoples of the entire world. Someone say, entire world. So he is, he is declaring from the beginning of even Judaism and the foundations of Christianity that the, the right hand of blessing is now going to pass from Reuben because of his sin and foolishness. It is going to go through Joseph, um, and it's going to go through Joseph. I'm going to use a word that's ugly here, and I'm doing it intentional to, ri- to raise, raise your ire just a little bit, to his two half-bred sons. Get that. The God of the universe has seen fit to take the blessing that belongs to the son of the right hand, the son of promise, the son of destiny, the son of dignity, the son of wealth, the son of all of the blessings of God the Father, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he has taken it and he has given it now to Joseph and to Joseph's two sons who are now half Jewish and half Egyptian and become now church acquainted with the heart of this God. You hear me? Okay. Verse 8. I'm in Genesis 48. Verse 8. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, whose sons are these? They're the sons God has given me here in Egypt, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. If we kept reading in the future chapters, he blesses all the 12 sons. But this is the firstborn blessing, the blessing of promise. Okay. Now Israel's eyes were failing um, because of his old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Our little son, uh, Ezra, loves to run to his grandpapa and embrace and kiss. You know, it's this precious little thing between a grandfather and now a grandson. Verse 11, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. He thought that he was told by the other brothers that Joseph had been killed, and he um, mourned Joseph's death, and then he was alive. I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too deep, tender, like compassionate moment between the two of them. Most likely tears, deep embrace, deep like emotion. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees. So they're sitting on their grandfather's knees is what it sounds like. And he bowed down with his face to the ground. So what does Joseph do before his dad? I mean, it is full, like we don't even understand respect in America. 
Okay, this is like the respect that he has for his father is like this. He is the greatest man. Joseph is the greatest man in all of Egypt. There is none more powerful than him in the most powerful country of the world than Pharaoh himself. There's only one person whose word can undo or outdo Joseph's word in this moment. And he has such deep contrition and humility and respect, and he understands that his father is carrying the blessing of God, and the blessing of God, the anointing of God, the grace of God is about to be transferred. That firstborn blessing is about to be transferred, and the humility and contrition and lowliness of heart that comes out of Joseph is this response. Full Surrender, full respect, full dignity. Verse 13, and Joseph took both of them, Ephraim, on his right towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand. Where's Manasseh? Why is Manasseh on the right? He's the oldest. The oldest is going to get the right hand of blessing. Ephraim is the youngest. He's on the, he's getting the sorry, sad blessing that's left. Really? And he brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head. Okay, so Israel's here. He's probably seated Manasseh is here, Ephraim is here, and it says he took his right hand, which is supposed to go on who? Manasseh, and he reaches out and he puts it on Ephraim, and then he takes his left hand, which is the sorry second place blessing that was meant for Ephraim, and he, excuse me, it meant for Manasseh, no, no, Manasseh, Ephraim, sorry. (laughs) Can we start that over? Okay, so we have Manasseh, And we have Ephraim. So the hand of blessing that was meant for Manasseh goes to? And then the hand that was meant for Ephraim goes to? Now, cross your arms again. All right, you got to get this. You got to get this. Let's keep reading. The younger crossing his arms, and he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, Joseph is bowing down at this point. He probably does not see what's happening. And all he does is hear the blessing. So here's the blessing, verse 15. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May may the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May May they be called by my name. Remember? Half Egyptian, half full blessing of God. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. Verse 17, Joseph, now you have to imagine, Joseph is prostrate prostrate on the ground. He's not looking. And then all of a sudden, verse 17, he's looking his head up to see what's happening. This is what it says, verse 17. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's, he was displeased. You, you see what's happening here? So he's, he's sort of like coming up going, oh man, he's going, my father's blind. Maybe my father's losing some of his memory. He doesn't understand what's going on. And he's like, I need to fix this. I have to actually take the right hand of promise and I need to put it back on Ephraim, or excuse me, Manasseh, and the left hand and put it back on 
Ephraim. So he's got to fix the problem. You know, you and I are good fixers, right? Yeah. All right, so let's see what he says. He was displeased, so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to him, no, my father, this one is firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Verse 19, here we go. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nonetheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. And he blessed them that day, and he said, in your name will Israel pronounce that blessing. May, the God, may God make you like Ephraim and... Okay, now at the beginning of the passage, when we walked in, it was... So he took his two sons, Manasseh and... At the end of the passage, it's may God make you like... Ephraim, Eminem. so Ephraim all of a sudden gets this hand of blessing. He, he, um, he takes the full blessing that we thought was going to pass through Joseph to Manasseh, so Ephraim gets it, and then uh, Manasseh gets this secondary blessing that he you know, didn't, didn't think he was going to get. So, jo so uh, Jacob is sort of wrestling with this. Okay, let's go back. I'm back to Acts 3. Some of you are like, Hang, hang. Here we go. A couple qualifiers that'll just help us with this next transition. Colossians 1.18 says, All things have been created by him. Who's him? Jesus. And for him. Who's him? Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why is Jesus the firstborn from the dead? Because he rose from the dead. Now, when Jesus returns on that white horse, and he takes those of us who are in him, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life according to Revelation, and he promotes us into that heavenly reality, um, we will become uh, firstborn among the dead also. But Jesus was the first one to be raised up to break the back of death and hell. That's why I actually had to start with the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. Um, he broke the back of death and hell. He broke the back of sin. So, and then, secondarily, qualifier that will help us understand, Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, you got to get this, okay? So positionally, you and I um, are much like uh, Reuben or much like uh, Manasseh, and what we actually um, deserve uh, is the second uh, best blessing, the kind of whatever's left over because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You follow? And instead, what happens, and this whole message is called um, activating the exchange or living in the exchange. And, and here's what I want you to see. Jesus is positionally seated at the right hand of God. We would be sitting at the left hand of God. And 
God, in his rich grace, takes the right hand of blessing that is meant for the Lord Jesus, and he gives it to, say me. Not just us, say me. And then he takes the left hand, uh, which I'm going to extend past just not blessing. It's actually death and cursing because that's what our life and sin and the way we fall short merits. And he takes that left hand and he puts it on. So this powerful thing happens where, there's, where, where before God, positionally, we are standing and we have the blessing of Christ Jesus. Put your hands out again. And the question is, how do we as a church, how do we as people begin to access and live under the right hand of this blessing of God? How do we begin to appropriate the fullness of the infilling power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus, life everlasting, all the blessings in heaven and on earth that rest on King Jesus are now on And all of our death and all of our sin and all the things that we deserve are now on Jesus. It's this forever exchange. It's this life exchange that is absolutely beyond comprehension. (laughs) Thank you. If, if we paused a second and said, what does blessing mean? Like, we don't even understand it in America. But I would probably say it speaks to an inner state of well-being. It's the prosperity of our souls in Jesus. It, blessedness comes from unhindered, unbroken, unruptured fellowship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus. And to live in that blessed experience is to experience the full impact of God's day-by-day, moment-by-moment, infilling power and presence in every situation of our lives. It's it's transformational. So how do we activate the exchange? In, In other words, there's so much that I as a Christian know and so much that I fail to live in. You hear me? Like, so, so how, Lord Jesus, and I'm going to invite you into my own wrestle this morning, how do we activate And live out of this new reality. A couple of thoughts. <coughs> many of us, many of us, Michael included, I see it every day of my life, I wish I didn't. Many of us are living, uh, and I, I almost am afraid to use this word because your brain's going to immediately go somewhere and I don't really want it to go there. I want you to think like a Jewish man or woman. But are, are, uh, many of us as Christians, as modern 2023 Christians, live with a poverty mentality. Not, uh, not financial, but, but actually every blessing. In other words, we wake up and we assume as we open our eyes and get out of bed, we're going to have to live the day from lack. Okay, We assume that we've got to live the day in our insecurity, in our brokenness, in our anxiety, in our defensiveness. We're just waiting um, for something bad to happen. How many of us spend our days just like... <gasps> And when something happens, sometimes we even overstate uh, the, the badness of what just happened. Why? Maybe to make us feel better. Maybe to prepare us for all the worst stuff that's going to happen. Instead of 
when something comes down the pike of life, recognizing that good or ugly, no matter how it feels, no matter how we think, that the right hand of God, every blessing in Christ Jesus, under heaven, on earth, in every area of our life is resting on us. And the goodness of God and the character of God and the person of God is such that he is working every single circumstance for your good, for your favor, for your blessing. No matter what happens, there's nothing that can happen this day, this week, this month, or this year if you're in Jesus and in Jesus, and Jesus is in you that is out from under the hand of blessing of God that rests on and in your life. And therefore, you and I can wake up in the morning and instead of living with fear and dread and defensiveness for the terrible things that are going to happen, we can begin to go, no, 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 no. I'm new in Christ. I am under the hand of blessing. I can begin to look forward because there are good things to come, both in this life and in the life to come. There is his grace and his favor and his peace and his joy. And no matter how bad it is or how painful it is or how difficult it is, no matter how much I've been abused or hurt or neglected, hated, I am under the right hand of blessing. And God the Father is working every one of those deep and painful things for my good and his glory. If you'll trust him and give him time and let him unfold it. There is nothing that is out from under this gracious hand of blessing on your life. Many of us as Christians, and I would say, I think I lead the conga line, we live from a place of lack. We live from a place of empty. We live not from abundance. We don't live from overflow. We live out of this assumption that we get second best. We get what we deserve. Do we get what we deserve in Jesus? Shake your head. No. Who gets what we deserve? And what do we get? Every blessing in heaven and on earth. Like you can't even fathom it. It's like. In many ways. And I want to be careful with how I say this. But I think you need to hear it. We live as modern believers, contemporary believers, more like we are slaves earning the pleasure of God, that we are like um, people striving to, to make him happy with us or, or earning to attain our salvation or just desperately hoping that one day I'll measure up instead of recognizing that we already have the blessing, the favor, the grace Jesus made away. Somebody needs to go, oh. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. You know, those old school wooden yokes that went on in my house, they'd be moo cows, but oxen. <laughs> I have kids. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's breaking this heavy yoke of bondage. He's breaking the heavy yoke of performance. He's breaking the heavy yoke of your own insecurity and your own shame and your own self-loathing and hatred and, oh, I failed here and I didn't measure up there and I'm not a good this and I didn't do that and I was wrong here. And he's, he's breaking it and he's calling you to live not out from under the curse but out from under the hear me like the the if if we as like believers could assimilate this deep into our being you know like I, I know so much of the Bible I like think right you know what I'm saying but my decisions indicate what I believe 
And there's often a gap between what I believe in my heart and what I think in my head and the way I knee jerk to my spouse or my kids or something at work or something in the business or whatever indicates that I am not often living out from under the right hand of God's blessing and favor, but I'm living under my own poverty of spirit. You follow me? Just a couple real practical examples. When um, Amelia was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, we have two daughters with type 1 diabetes. Um, she was diagnosed like three years ago. I can't even believe that. She was two. It was on my birthday. We're in the hospital on my birthday. <clears throat> First response, great. I can't believe this, God. We give our life to you to go be pastors, which is not a fun profession. And you... You allow this to happen? Instead of, and it took me like hours and days, sometimes it took me months, to get to the point where I went, this for now is under the right hand of blessing and you're working it out for Amelia's good, for our good, for your glory. One day she's gonna be healed, whether that's on planet Earth or whether that's when we enter the gates of glory. She will be healed and I can rest assured and know that in this moment in between, the land between the now and not yet, it is like okay because she is under God's grace and favor and blessing and there is nothing on planet Earth. There is no financial difficulty or abuse or neglect or hurt or hatred or whatever you name, no disease, no nothing that is out from under this heavenly reality that is Amelia's in Christ Jesus. And there's nothing out from under this heavenly reality that is Abby's and mine in Christ Jesus. And so all of a sudden we're getting up going, we believe she's going to be healed. We're going to pray that she's going to be healed. We're going to live every day and thank God because he is actively blessing her and us in the land between. You hear me? But I'm not going to get up and live from lack and go, I'm a victim. Woe is me. I hate this. Ba 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 ba. You hear me? Christians actually are not meant ever to be victims. Now, can we, um, uh, is it possible that we're in a situation where we are a victim? Yes. Do you need to live there? No. See, there's this, this like finite thing where you can go, was Joseph, the son of, of the, that was getting the blessing of Reuben, was he victimized by his brothers? Yes, he was thrown in jail. He was enslaved. He was abused. Did God have it under the right hand of blessing and ultimately use it to save the lives of Israel and the 12 sons and the entire nation of Israel? Yes. And if if Joseph was not sent ahead into Egypt, then all of the Israelites would have died. So God takes what is this tragedy and he uses it for Joseph's good, for the Israelites' good, for his glory, and he propels this like messianic cord that is going through until the birth of Jesus. And it's still tracing in your life and my life today. So the question I think for us is how do we exit this human poverty mentality or human living from lack mentality um, or, or human living like slaves mentality to embracing sonship and daughtership? Um, how do we um, moment by moment, day by day, instead of getting up with fear and dread, begin to go, I'm a son and I'm a daughter and the yoke is easy and Jesus is for me and he's actually paving the way and he's gone ahead of me and he's coming behind me and he's making a way 
And it's, it might not feel good at this moment, but it's going to be good because I know the character of my father. He's got this thing, and I'm in the journey with him, and I can trust him moment by moment, day by day, step by step. How do we upshift? This is something I've been doing in my own heart and my own life, is how do I upshift into a kingdom reality instead of downshifting into an earthly reality? You hear me? So couple of couple of thoughts. How, how do I upshift into a kingdom mentality and not downshift into a, an earthly mentality? <clears throat> if I get a negative health diagnosis, I just gave you something like that. God's going to heal it. He's going to use it or he's going to promote me to glory. You hear me? All of a sudden it changes it. Does it make it easier? Not always but it makes it good. I'm having trouble with a child, or you're having trouble with a child, an adult child, a baby child, a, any child. You can rest assured that what God is allowing is under the right hand of blessing of Christ Jesus, and he means it for that child's good, for your good, for the family's good, maybe for your great-great-great-grandkids' good. Like there's a kingdom perspective and mentality that is so much bigger than our little human moment-by-moment -moment thing where we're like, oh, I hate this. You hear me? Job change, job difficulty. We have a landscaping company and somebody's always doing something. There's always a wreck trailer or truck or, you know, whatever. And my typical response is, Is that out from under God's right hand of blessing in Michael's life? No. Is it out from under the right hand of blessing in that employee's life? No, because they are under my covering. So the question is, can I step back and can I begin to go, Lord, will you infuse me? Will you upshift my thinking? Will you upshift my worldview into a kingdom mentality instead of downshifting into an earthly mentality? We're getting ready um, in, I think, two weeks or something like that to watch the Super Bowl. Come on. Okay. So in the final minutes of the Super Bowl, when all the big plays are being made, especially if it's a close game, what are both teams going to do? They're going to call timeout. And they're going to all go over to the sidelines, and what's the coach going to do? He's going to remind them of who they are. He's going to remind them of what they're capable of doing. He's going to remind them of why they're here. He's going to remind them of their identity. And then he's going to say, get out there and win. Right? I am more and more calling strategic timeouts in Michael's life and inviting you to do the same. Something's happening at home and all of a sudden you're angry, impatient, frustrated with your spouse or one of your kids. I highly recommend you do a big knee jerk and yell at everybody. <laughs> I suggest you... Call timeout. You may have to walk over to the side of the room. I'm not saying leave, but do something so that you position yourself in a place where you can remind yourself who you are. 
You are not the second hand of blessing. You are not second best. You're not getting what is not good. God is working, even in this situation, his goodness, his grace, his blessing, his favor, his design, his destiny, his purpose. And if you can get on his page and upshift into a kingdom reality, lifting your thinking, then you can all of a sudden become a companion and participant with him in bringing the larger kingdom reality into your earth reality. And you can stop showing your backside, yelling, whatever it is you do, however you respond, being passive aggressive or silent or whatever, you can stop all that and you can begin to respond under the power of the Spirit because every spiritual blessing in heaven and on earth that is King Jesus's is now mine. Say it with me. Mine. So you call a timeout. You recalibrate yourself. You may need to actually get on your knees to remind yourself that you are not God. You are not in control. You cannot handle it all, figure it all out, plan it all, put it all on a spreadsheet. And you may need to take that moment and go, Lord Jesus, I surrender it all again. And I choose to recognize that I am living now under the right hand of blessing. And there is no circumstance, no situation, nothing that can happen that is outside your sovereign purpose for the life of Michael and his family at this moment. And then stand up in the newness of the kingdom, in the newness of King Jesus inside of you and step into whatever situation you're stepping into, inviting the very presence, power, uh, and, and anointing of the king into that situation. And breathe. This is how we upshift into kingdom thinking. This is how we live in the exchange. You call a timeout. There's a little book that we read at our house called Thomas the Train, and he's going up the mountain, and he goes, I think I can, I think I can. Some of you guys ask me sometimes, hey, what do you say in your daily declarations? Go back to Thomas the Train. I actually don't say I think I can. I go, Jesus did. Jesus has paid it. Michael's enough, not because of what Michael's done, but because I'm under the right hand of blessing and I have every spiritual blessing on heaven and earth. And my God says over me, this is my son or this is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Rise up and walk. I am secure in Jesus. I'm safe in Jesus. I'm accepted in Jesus. It doesn't matter if nobody on planet earth, doesn't matter if anybody on planet earth doesn't accept me or rejects me or hates me because the king of glory accepts me. You hear me? So when I get up and I do some morning declarations, I'm reminding myself that I am living under the right hand of blessing and that Jesus has taken all the negative and all the sin and all the rejection and all the hatred. He is absorbing all of it and I get all the goodness and then I stand up and go, okay, I'm new in Jesus. There is no yoke. I am free in Christ and I can get up and infuse the presence and power of Jesus into every situation into which I walk. And when I fall and fall, and guess what? I do. Every day, what do I do? Jesus, help me, because I'm making a mess of it again. Will you remind me who I am in you? That's really the way it goes. Isn't that profound? Isn't that, I mean, that's just so, wow. Sometimes I imagine God the Father 
looking at me in a moment of my duress and saying, come now, my son, lift up your eyes, lift up your gaze, experience my love, stop living in the old, stop living under the curse and live under the blessing of the Lord Jesus that is yours. Just imagine him saying that over me. And then I step into it. I think I would say to every single one of us in every situation of our lives, when I read Paul in the New Testament, we are either downshifting into human reality, we're downshifting into narrow-minded reality, or we are upshifting into kingdom reality. I don't think there's another option in every situation of your life. You're going to upshift into kingdom reality, or you're going to downshift into earthly or human reality. And I'm learning that in order to activate this exchange, to live under the blessing, that it requires openness and contrition, open hands, open heart, humility, surrender. And when I do, every blessing under heaven in Christ Jesus is mine and it's yours. Say mine. Mine. Worship team, would you come out and close with a song? Father, I pray for us as a church that you would allow us to live from the exchange. That you would allow us to activate the exchange. Father, I don't want to be a church that teaches great business principles or great life principles or great ideas. Father, I am convinced that you have called us to be a church that activates the kingdom of God the power of the Lord Jesus, the infilling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and to see people set free, transformed, renewed, redeemed, new creations in Christ. And Father, I pray for people, whether they're in this room, whether they're online, whether they're listening now or in arrears, that you would plant hope in our hearts, that because of what you've already done, the finished work of the cross, We can live from redemption, from sonship, from daughtership. We can live from blessing. We don't have to live from lack. We don't have to live in a poverty mindset and mentality. Father, would you call us to take our place as sons and daughters? Would you call us to take our place as saints? Would you call us, every single one of us, men, women, young people, to take our place at the right hand of blessing? Will you stand with me and sing a closing song? Prayer team, if you'll come down to the front and just make yourself available. As we sing this song, here's, and if you want special prayer, prayer team, come on down. But if you want special prayer, this could be for something at work, something in your family, a sickness, a job thing, a marriage thing, a kid thing, a personal thing. It doesn't matter. These are just normal people. I love them, but they're no different than you and me. You can come down and just say, hey, pray with me. Like, agree with me in prayer. So do that. If you want to come and worship on this front, right now during this closing song, you just want to, like, open your heart before God, surrender something, then come on down. There's this nice little space here. We good? All right, let's worship Jesus.
we praise you that you came to earth as a babe. We praise you that you paid the price that we couldn't pay. Lord, we praise you that we don't have to make a way into that heavenly blessing that you've made a way for us. All we have to do is surrender our hearts and lives and walk through it. Father, if there's someone in this room or someone online or someone listening to the podcast after the fact that's never given their life to you, if you're in the room, come down and talk to one of us later. I'm going to lead you to Jesus. If you're online, get in touch with us. Track us down. We'll have a Zoom call. We'll get on the telephone. We'll lead you to Jesus. This is life. This is the way. This is the truth. There is no other way by which men and women can be saved. Father, I pray that we would be a church that lives in the exchange, that activates the exchange, that lives under the mighty, righteous blessing of the risen Lord, King Jesus. Father, as we go from this place, would you allow us to be more fully in tune with your person and presence? Would you allow us to practice the infilling moments of your Holy Spirit? Would you allow us to call timeouts and recalibrate our own heads and our own hearts? And would you allow us to stand tall because we're sons and daughters, we're saints? And would you allow us to carry the presence and power of Jesus into every circumstance, every situation, every conversation? Jesus, we love you and praise you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.